minutes, primary ignition. This is the way. What is up, all of you? Ugnaughts and Jawas out there, welcome back to a new edition of Mando Talk. This is your home for Season 3 Mandalorian after shows, breakdowns, spoiler discussions. And on this one, we've got Chapter 21 titled The Pirate. I'm your boy, Caleb Keller. I'm back. And joining me on this one, it's been so long that some of you that are new listeners may have not even heard of him before, but those oh, of you that are longtime listeners, you oh, know man. him, you love him, DJ Foster, at Rebel Scum Texan on Twitter, is here. DJ, what's up? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so flipping long. Yeah, so many, so many things, things that I couldn't prevent. <laughs> Things that, that if I even tried to prevent, I would have regretted preventing. Yeah. And I'm glad to just finally. And, and here's the truth. I've never discussed a Mandalorian episode on Mando Talk. And all the time I've been doing this with you, mm-hmm. it's the first Mandalorian episode. Even when Book of Boba Fett dropped the random Mando stuff. Right. Yeah. That is it, my true. daughter. I was in the hospital when my daughter was born when that particular episode premiered. So I've never discussed Mandalorian exclusively. And I'm so happy that this is now the first time I get to do it. I feel like it's taken way too long, but I'm yeah. glad it's here. I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty stoked to be doing this one with you, DJ. And I'm pretty stoked yet again for those of you here listening. If you are new here and you have not hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you are on, be sure to hit that subscribe button. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast any and every podcast platform, check us out, smash that subscribe button, rate us five stars, hit the like button, do all of those great things to help us get out there and for everybody to see us. Can't wait to continue to cover this season. We are over the halfway point officially, but we are going to continue to do these companion podcast episodes releasing every single Friday until the last episode of this season and it's coming very 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 soon but anyway we've got a good one to discuss here at least in my opinion I'll go ahead and give my overall thoughts before we dive into the breakdown and I'll ask you DJ to share your overall thoughts as well this one was so fun from beginning to end the pacing of the Carson Teva stuff the pacing of the pirate slash grief Karga stuff the going to the covert and and connecting that to Carson Teva and what he had going on and then this culminating moment there at the end and the massive tease of the great villain coming back yet again Moff Gideon spoilers by the way uh I loved every (laughs) single second I loved every single second of this episode there's really nothing else for me to say regarding overall thoughts because I'm really anxious to get into this breakdown so I'll pass it to you DJ what are your overall (laughs) thoughts on the uh, episode oh I love this episode I mean I'm still I'm still in the aftershock of seeing Keller and Beck and and Ahmed Best come back so I was like nothing's ever going to top that I mean honestly like I'm bummed I couldn't be on the episode last week because I didn't get to talk about that but this episode 
I love the Carson Tiva stuff. And, and I was talking to my, my uh, dad about this. My dad's been watching Mandalorian with uh, the rest of my family and, and um, I'll get to work with him. And so we, we, when we're not working, we'll have conversations about Mandalorian or star Wars or just whatever else we're into. And so I was mentioning to him how there's this really cool through line right now that that's connecting Carson Teva to the sequel trilogy mm-hmm. and it's only noted in a couple of times and it's it's the playing of the Re- the march of the resistance from the force awakens yeah and the first time i heard it i think it was in the dr pershing episode and i immediately recognized it mm-hmm. but this episode was really cool for me and this is i think my biggest takeaway from the whole thing we'll probably talk about it more but yeah. it's it's seeing the dichotomy between him representing the resistance i'll i'll use those terms and then I don't remember the woman's name who tried to kill Pershing. Elia Kane. Elia Kane. That's her character's name. Character's name, yes. Okay, uh, so Katie O'Brien, actor, okay. actress, so I believe. You got, you got old Kane over here, and she's raising it too. And <laughs> and she's she's kind of the representation of the first order in a way. So it's it's really cool to see a through line. And I, you know, that's what people were saying when Mandalorian first came out a few years ago was hey, it's gotta connect. It has to. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, even recently we're like, oh, it's like 10 years after Return of the Jedi. Well, it's like, okay, well, that's only a 20-year gap that we have to cross now, which is easy, you know. So yeah. it's nice to see that these little seeds of resistance and first order stuff is starting to be planted. So for me, that was the biggest thing for me of this whole episode. But all of that to say, because I know we're going to come back and talk about that some more. I loved this episode. A lot of great connections. I really, because of you, honestly, Caleb, I, I was really thinking Moff Gideon would show up. Yeah, me too. I, that was definitely something that I thought I could easily take to the bank this week, yes. honestly. But, I, I mean, mean in a name, sense, he's there. It, it's kind of like that drop. It's kind of yeah. like that Palpatine presence. Like, you can yes. feel Moff Gideon throughout this entire season yes. so far. We just haven't physically seen him yet, but it's coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. And, and. Not just not just that though. I mean, if he doesn't show up, well, we got two episodes left. Three, epi- two three. episodes, three, three episodes, episodes left. left. Yeah, 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 it was the fifth one. So we got three more, and you know, it's gonna it's gonna connect. I think really well. If he's not in the next one, for sure, the for seventh, sure the penultimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I'd be shocked if he's not in the seventh. I, I'm I'm just floored by what they're doing with Bo-Katan, uh, and I love what oh, they're doing gosh, with the armorer. Yeah. I mean, everything's great, and and this episode is really pushing that envelope mm-hmm. a lot. Absolutely, and it's been a lot of fun to just kind of sit back and and listen to you and Zach, and yeah. then also just watch the show and be like, oh, that's that's something I hadn't thought about. So for me, it's just been a lot of intake, not a lot of outtake. You right. Know what I mean, so well, here I am, and it's it's nice to kind of finally get the chance to talk about it. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about this episode then in all its glory. We absolutely loved it. It seems like the online community is absolutely loving it. So let's dive in. Chapter 21, The Pirate, directed by Peter Ramsey. Now, Peter Ramsey, for me at least, DJ, you may know more. So more information about Peter Ramsey over there. But Peter Ramsey, for me, I know him most notably for co-directing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, an Academy Award-winning film. I think it got like Best Animated Feature Film or something along those lines. Fantastic live action directorial debut i don't know if it's his first live action project period but regardless it's cool to see yet again another animated legend in addition to dave filoni kind of make this crossover into the mandalorian he did a phenomenal job in my opinion you know anything you got any other knowledge on peter ramsey yeah well i 
really i looked at imdb just to see what else he directed he's got a few tv series he's done he's done and, and one of them might be a live action i'm not sure no it's animated okay. so he's he's just primarily you know animated it's all right. he's done okay and but there's one movie in particular that i did know besides spider-man spider-verse and that's a 2012 movie called rise of the guardians mm. It's about the different holiday people, uh, you know, Easter Bunny, Santa, and Jack Frost is like the main character. Oh, I cool. saw that when I was in, working at the movie theater 11 years ago, and um, and I when it, I saw like every movie that came out, I took full advantage of that 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 perk. But so yeah. a lot of free movies, but I did see this one. You know, I mean, if I had paid for it, I probably would have not liked it as much. You know, it's just one I of those see. weird movies. So. It's funny now seeing, okay, that particular movie jumped to Spider-Man, mm -hmm. jumped to Mandalorian. Yeah. It's, it's been a steady rise for him, I think, in his, yes, it has. In his ability to direct and impressive. really. To, yes, most, <laughs> most impressive. impressive. And, ta <laughs> and take on those. I did, I did that Vader quote as Obi-Wan just then, I think. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but it's, you oh know, well. Oh well. I, I think that's what he's been doing. And to see, and it's great that he's got somebody like Filoni who kind of, walk walk so he could run in, in a way yeah there you go. I'm, sure. there's 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 other guys and, and ladies who have directed I mean, animation and Filoni probably action, but you know Filoni probably mentored him a little bit too with this episode I, i'd have to i'd imagine. be willing to bet that i'd be yeah. willing to bet that i mean if that if that came out and they were like hey this is the you know we get to a disney gallery in a few months if mm -hmm. hopefully because hopefully. they haven't dropped one for they haven't dropped one for andor yet and i'm bummed about that because i really want to know the behind the scenes for that one sure. but you know, they haven't, if they do drop a Disney gallery for this season of Mandalorian, I really want to focus in on him and see what the connection was, how that happened. Cause like it's the, Hollywood, we think it's this big business. It's a pretty small business. When you think about it, connections are not that hard to make mm. if you're in that world. Like, you know, I mean, Deborah Chow did Mandalorian and then she got Obi-Wan. It's like, well, Dave Filoni, he's doing all these animated projects before everything from King of the Hill to Avatar Airbender to, you know, uh, Clone Wars and Rebels and now Mandalorian. It's not that hard to like see, oh, okay, I know this guy and he's going to be yeah. really good at this. So let's get him in here. You know, that, that there's really good chance that that was some kind of a call that, that was made. So sure. all that to say, I, I really enjoy just the, the, what Peter Ramsey has done and what he's doing now. And absolutely. I hope he continues in live action because I I have really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I do think he's actually on deck to direct don't quote me on this. I think he's on deck to direct an episode of Ahsoka, though, so I do think we're going to see some more of him in this space. Well, the episode was written by Jon Favreau. We don't need to dive into that one. Not surprising at all. He's probably got his hands on every single second of every frame that we're going to see coming up to finish off this thing. He's writing like everything, isn't he? Like, oh, pretty yeah. much? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right, well. Starting the episode, we open on Navarro as we pan into High Magistrate Grieve Karga's office, where he is making the decision to locate the trade district closer to the shipping terminals, not before passing by the IG-11 statue that is still disassembled outside. I feel like that was naturally and understandably shown just to get that little plug in the back of your mind, okay, this is still a thing. Anyway, continuing on here, these decisions are then put on hold when suddenly Grief hears screaming from the streets below. I'm going to go ahead and continue here. Gorian shards 
Corsair cruiser arrives and is violating the airspace of the population zone. I love that little descriptor there that that droid gave. Gorian Shard hells Grief Karga and begins roasting him how he is no longer a guild master of the Navarro Hunters and rather dressed as a pampered nobleman dressed for the pomp of his wedding feast. Dude, Gorian Shard goes yeah. hard on Grief Karga here. Dude, he does. And I gotta admit, premiere episode, when I saw Gorian Shard for the first time, I was like, okay, I love the look, but I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to take this dude seriously. He got me here. I was like, okay, I can sure. respect how this dude is a pirate lord, if you will. Mm-hmm. What yeah, do you it's think? very. It's I rewatched um, Dead Man's Chest, Pirates of the Caribbean, this last week. I, yeah. I know, it's so Aaron to bring that up, but he did no, it's not because they look so similar. <laughs> the vibes <laughs> well, are similar. The vibes they, are oh, similar. Definitely. Well, Gorian Shard did not give me da- uh, Davy Jones vibes necessarily. Mm-hmm. However, he does give me Barbosa vibes. I see that, and and I really like the the usage of the these words, pomp and mm-hmm. wedding feast. You know, yeah. the, these are not everyday words. They're very well. They're kind of piratey. I mean, you don't. You, right. it may, it's like here's what my first thought was a second when you said that talking about it, where he's so weird looking, like mm-hmm. he looks like Salad the Hut to me. You know, <laughs> you know, he he just looks so fun. Like once I saw people comparing him to like Spaceballs as uh, Pizza the Hut, I couldn't unsee it. But you know, like nice. he, he he looks like a giant salad frog, but but where he looks strange, and I think this is the lesson that you know we may have learned from Jar Jar, where he looks weird, he makes up for it in, in vocabulary. Mm. Where Jar Jar was so weird looking that maybe he should have spoke more intelligently. Mm, I see. You know, maybe you know, and and not to jump too far ahead in the episode review, but when we get to Zeb. Mm-hmm. I, I never expected to see Zeb as a CG character. I always right. thought he would be practical. So my mind has had to adjust to, okay, that's what they're going to do going forward. Yeah. Um, and so if I had seen Zeb, you know, with a weird Jar Jar-like speech, and then, you know, he, he looks the way he does as CG, I might not like him as much. Mm-hmm. But, so with Gory and Shard, it's kind of neat to hear, see, okay, he looks weird, but he talks like a pirate. A right. cap a captain at least. And so it's easy for me to kind of get on board with what he is and what he's doing. Yeah. Yes. And, and just as a character, you know, yeah. obviously I'm not gonna become a pirate, but like, you know, I <laughs> sure. get what like I get like where he's at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this conversation continues and it's great pirate vibes uh, throughout. Gorian confronts Grief for killing his men. Grief clarified that Gorian's men shot first. Gorian then threatens that he will now shoot first. Grief lies by saying that would be a bad idea since Navarro is under the protection of the New Republic, but Gorian knows the truth. Uh, Navarro definitely is not under the protection of the New Republic. Grief nope. mentions that a spineward, spinward patrol passes through regularly, which makes Gorian laugh, a great pirate laugh yet again, since the yep. New Republic can't handle the pirate nation in the mid-rim. Gorian says this isn't Sabak, and Karga can't bluff his way out of this one. The conversation ends with Gorian saying for Grief to not hail him again unless it is to surrender. I'll go ahead and finish the scene. Grief seems seemingly sends a message through a droid, alarms begin going off in the city, and Gorian's ship begins firing on the streets below, civilians begin evacuating to the lava flats, Grief is given an opportunity to escape on a pod, but he refuses to, rather to stay with his people. The setup, because that's then when the, the Mandalorian title card hits, the setup 
for this episode was great. I, like I've already mm-hmm. alluded to, the Gordian Shard character suddenly became more serious and legit to me rather than like a, ooh, he's goofy, I love him kind of a thing. <laughs> it was more of a, yeah. okay, I get what he's doing kind of thing. And the whole dialogue that comes back into play later in the episode with Grief hearing from Gorian that uh, the New Republic is struggling to keep watch of these pirates in the mid-rim, so uh, they're definitely not concerned about us here right now, so you can't Mm -hmm. really hold that over us. I find that very, very, very interesting, and that definitely connects to something that Carson Teva says later in this episode, so I'll kind of hold off on that, but overall, what did you think of this opener? Anything that I may have missed? Just what you got for me here, DJ? Everything you said was great. Um, I do want to throw this in there kind of as just like I noticed this. I I don't like crowd scenes in disaster moments in shows and movies when there aren't children involved. Mm. Because if this was real world, there'd be toddlers and babies and, and, you know, middle school age kids running all over the place because that's it's real life in a TV series or a movie. You don't often get that. And I think it's probably to like probably to one maintain a certain rating and two, it doesn't want you're you're doing escapism. You don't necessarily want to feel that way, I guess. And so, with this, it's nice because I'm actually I've got it playing on my phone right now, just kind of, um, you know, just trying to kind of keep track of and try to remind myself. I've only got to watch it once, and so yeah. I'm just like, okay, what's going on? So I noticed these kids running through just now. I'm like, oh, good, because it's a real city. It's a real mm-hmm. it's it's real things involved here. So children would be involved in a situation like this something that we don't see a lot in movies and tv shows so i like the little detail it's like yeah. hey make sure you have a kid in there because even if it it's raises just one, the stakes for it sure. does it's like in the second i see children i'm like okay i really don't want i mean i already didn't want navarro to get destroyed right right and I, now i really don't want navarro to get destroyed because i've seen yeah. that there are families here it's like mm-hmm. okay that and that's good to, i think for an audience it's like let that be in there don't kill anybody you know i have to kill anybody but like <laughs> Let's just at least put it sure. in there to yeah. like raise those stakes as you put it. So I really like that about this sequence. But everything else, I mean, it's a great setup. It, it's yeah. it takes us. It's it's very. It's one of the few Mandalorian episodes where I'm like, I know where the rest of this is going. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's really easy to kind of see that. Definitely, definitely. Well, I will say, after the title card, I wasn't expecting this. Mm-mm. We visit Captain Carson Teva at a New Republic Ranger station where he receives a transmission from Grief Karga requesting his assistance in clearing out the pirates for his people's safety and also to prevent the planet from becoming a pirate base. Rick Famuwaya, Deborah Chow, and Dave Filoni, all three, can be spotted sitting at that same bar with Carson Teva enjoying some libations. Carson (laughs) Teva declares he's going to travel to Coruscant to avoid dispatch delays and seemingly New Republic paperwork to speed up the process of responding to Grief Karga's request. Now, this conversation, though, all happens with a Lasat. At that moment, I am absolutely freaking out because that Lasat <laughs> is Zeb. Zeb is a character, a beloved character from the best animated Star Wars series to date, Star Wars Hold Rebels, on. voiced Hold by on. Stephen J. Bloom. 
Let's go. Hold on. It may Hold be on. But regardless, Star Wars Rebels fan freak out moment. I know there's some of you listening that agree with me that Rebels is the best. Don't lie. Don't hide right now. It's the best one. Better than Clone Wars. No, it's I not. I know DJ's hating No, it's right not. <laughs> I had to get that plug in I'm not there, hating I had to slide you. that just, in there. I'm Rebels str- is the best. It's the I'm best. I'm strongly <laughs> disagreeing, okay? No, strong, I understand. I mean, Rebels is great. I love Rebels, and, and it's so... It's those latter seasons that really hit me hard. Yeah, for um, sure. What do you think of this scene, though? What did this mean okay. to you seeing Zeb? Now, I will so, say, though, real quickly, sorry, sorry. He looked phenomenal. Like, okay. the CG on this, I was stunned. And that tells me we're yeah. not done with this character because they've put every small little detail into this dude, and I love it, folks. Love it. I just, I wasn't, expe- I said this a second ago, I was not ever expecting Zeb to be CGI, a CGI character. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. For I just sure. always yeah. thought, well, they got they've got Jonas Suotomo and Peter Mayhew and David Prowse to play and Ahmed Best to play these oddly tall and sure. weirdly shaped characters, and they're yeah. able to perform well. You know, like it, I always expected Zeb to be practical, but mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time still adjusting to the fact that he's CGI. I've got it paused right here on my phone. I'm looking at it and like, you know what? Next to Carson Tiva, it it looks pretty good. You know, I'm glad he's not a rubber mask. I think if you're going to put emphasis on a a character going forward and make the and just say this character is going to be CGI, here's our quick you know test run with it. Mm-hmm. Th- this is the right way to do it because he's a beloved character. Yep. Whatever whatever issues there are, there will be those who forgive those issues. Thinking about Ahsoka with the head tails. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're not the right length for that age of her character. They didn't have the right, you know, stripes uh, situated on it. Whatever. We forgave it because we like what they did. Yeah. It's great so stuff. With Zeb, it's like if there are if there are problems, we forgive it. Now, mm-hmm. I I, lo- I love that he was there. It was really kind of like shocking. I did, it's not something I expected. Yeah. I mean, I didn't ex- I never expected Ahmed Best, even though I joke every season, who's going to show up in this season of whatever? It's Jar Jar Binks. Well, <laughs> he finally by showed association, up. Well, I never sure. <laughs> by association, Exactly. You know, and so it's like I never would have said, oh, Zeb's in Mandalorian season three. I never would have said that because I just wasn't I wasn't thinking about it, you know, yeah. but it makes all the sense in the world that he's here. I love that he said, okay, I'm done with, you know, the ghost crew. I'm going to go be a pilot now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go enlist. Like, he, he's making – he know that's just the perfect thing Zeb would do. Like, you know, and Dave obviously is behind some of the writing here and, like, telling John, hey, let's – Plug him. Or maybe yeah. John's just like, I love this character. Let's plug him in. Mm-hmm. You know, this has got to be a character that John Favreau loves. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. So seeing him next to a real-life person – and yeah. the lighting, it just looks great. It does. I think, I think that when Ahsoka comes out, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get that, okay, thank you. We The whole Rebels crew's back, and I'm still holding out for, like, Force Ghost Kanan. You Ooh, know, that would be I, cool. You know, That'd be you know, very cool. I, I really think that they will do that. Um, I, I don't see why they wouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what he did there at that sacrifice at the end, the whole World Between Worlds things, it's got to come into play in Ahsoka somehow, somewhere. At yeah. least by mention, and and then just having Zeb here is just like, hey, don't forget, we have this show a few years ago 
and yeah. you should check it out. And that's what Mandalorian's been doing for two seasons now. Oh, you haven't seen Clone Wars? You better watch Clone Wars. Oh, mm-hmm. now, oh, you haven't seen Rebels? You probably should watch Rebels, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, well, it's one of those things that it's a through line. It's a throwaway. Mm-hmm. It's just a big, fat connection, and we're getting there. Yeah, and I also appreciate, though, they are doing a great job of making fans that haven't seen those shows feel like they're not being left out. Like, they're introducing these characters in a way where they are accessible first-time viewers for those yeah, characters. I mean, so I, I appreciate I that I couldn't decision. ask for a better way to do this either. Because, yeah. like, you're going to throw Zeb in there. For all of us, we're like, oh, my gosh, it's Zeb. And then, right. like, in the first episode, oh, my gosh, there's Pergil. Like, mm-hmm. and now it's like, well, what's the space whale? Well, yeah. what's the pointy-eared <laughs> purple dude? Like, who's that? Right. You know, and so now it's like people are going to dig into it maybe hopefully i think that's what they want yeah for sure it's just plug in their previous content and and those that are just wanting to know more will go check it out that's yeah business business is booming baby business is booming indeed indeed. all right well carson teva arrives on coruscant to speak with colonel tuttle as alia kane looks on this chick's showing up everywhere she's starting to get on my nerves but she's written so well as far as kind of playing that kind of role i guess Anyway, we'll continue. Carson barges into Colonel Tuttle's office where he's working with files potentially similar to those that Dr. Pershing was working on. Maybe that's why he's overwhelmed suddenly because Dr. Pershing is mentally gone at this point. He's not at that desk working through those files. I don't know. Maybe just some headcanon going on there. Carson Teba reveals he's assigned to the Adelphi base and is requesting permission for an Adelphi squadron to go to Navarro. Now, he essentially shows... Colonel Tuttle, the transmission from Grief Karga. Aliyah Kane walks in to try to, you know, be a fly on the wall. Like, she's trying to listen in on what's going on because she's definitely working for Gideon or something along those lines. And the colonel's hesitant to greenlight any help to Navarro due to it not being a member of the New Republic. And they have requests to deal with from member systems first. Carson Teva believes the ruling of Moff Gideon, including Imperial Remnants on Navarro, and now this pirate attack are all connected. Elia Kane steps in and says it may be best for the High Magistrate to see why becoming a member of the New Republic would be valuable, suggesting to let them suffer, which was a very imperialistic kind of idea there, to not want to help and just let them suffer and and see, okay, this is why you need the New Republic to step in. Elia Kane views it as someone needing to see a new perspective before they can see the light. Carson Teva immediately throws shade by saying her sort didn't see the light, that they were captured. Kane says she was liberated. Colonel Tuttle essentially de- declares they will do nothing. Before walking out, Carson Teva gives that big line we've seen in trailers. There's something dangerous happening out there. All of these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. DJ... What did you think of these scenes between Elia Kane, Carson Teva, and uh, Colonel Tuttle here? I won't belabor it too much because I talked about it up at the front a little mm-hmm. bit, but I, I want to throw in a couple of little things I noticed. First of all, Tim Meadows. Um, I love Tim Meadows. He's hilarious. So I love him in Mean Girls. Mean Girls is my favorite chick flick, rom-com, if you want to call it, teen movie, however you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, so I love him here. It's great. I was like, hey, it's Tim Meadows. Like, and I that's, just... that's Colonel Tuttle. That, that's mm-hmm. the one Yeah, it's, it's Tuttle. Yeah. So I really like him. I'm like, okay, cool. Just you know, sure it's our like audience knew that. Oh yeah, I yeah, my bad. I I, I tend <laughs> no, to you're assume, good. <laughs> I tend to assume too much, you know. Um, but anyway, I, I love that he's here. It's like, okay, he's a cool actor. I like him. You know, it's fun to have him in the mix because he's this kind of 
background comedic I, uh, icon, you know, a little bit yeah. in the, yeah. SNL and everything else. So it's like, okay, cool. Tim Meadows is here I like that. Um, but he's playing the role of what I feel like is everybody who's living in this era of Star Wars. Like, mm-hmm. if you're in this world, he is like, listen, the the war's over. All right. But then you have Paul Hung or Sun Hung Lee over here doing his thing as Carson Teva saying, mm-hmm. listen, you know, he at one point, um, the, the uh what's the what's tim meadows character again tuttle 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 tuttle's like hey look man this isn't a rebellion anymore and mm-hmm. and yeah like we have steps we have process yeah. you can't just go out there and do whatever you want essentially but yeah. it's not just that tiva's like but there's people in need right yeah you princess leia or excuse me general leia mm-hmm. ushering in the resistance and then you have um kane over here being like hey you know we probably should just kind of let them go, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and she's mm-hmm. doing, she's plucking her little strings while she's, she's first order. She just is. 100%. And, yep. And it, and I think that as, as upsetting as the sequel trilogy is to so many people, mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Okay. There's the issues I have with it. This is really fun because it, we knew that there would come a day when um, Star Wars would fill those gaps to help us get to, the sequel trilogy. Yep. We knew it was coming. We've always, I, I mean, I say we, a lot of people, including myself, have 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 thought, okay, Clone Wars style animation with young Ben Solo. That that would be great. And it would be great. It's, I still think that would be great. But they're not yeah. doing that. They're doing Mandalorian. They're doing Ahsoka. They're doing Skeleton Crew. Okay, so they're in, in Bo- Book of Boba Fett. All of these things are going to connect mm-hmm. down the road somewhere. Yep. And that somewhere down the road is The Force Awakens. So we have Disney knows what they're doing. They have to connect to those movies. So people who are upset right now with the things that are happening at Lucasfilm, me in particular, <laughs> we can't we cannot disregard the sequel trilogy and say that's legends and move past it. We can't do that. Because this stuff right here is mm-hmm. what, this scene. And literally in this scene, this scene tells you everything you need to know about the future of Star Wars, what they want to do. And what yeah. they've already done and how they're connected to it. So I get a lot of like background information from this scene. Not so much in the moment, because in the moment I'm like, oh, I know what's happening. I know where they're going. Yeah. But it's telling us, it's sending us messages like, hey, look, there are things at Disney and Lucasfilm right now that suck, plain and simple. We're getting through it. Here's how we're doing it. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, great. Let's get to that. So yeah. my, my take on this scene is one, I like Tim Meadows. Okay. And two, <laughs> um, I like that they're, we're connecting. Yeah. And the quicker we get there, the better. Yeah, that's, for sure. That's kind of how I feel about this. Yeah, well, reading between the lines there, great world building of this dialogue for sure. You can kind of get, mm-hmm. you can just from this conversation and from the Dr. Pershing episode, you can very easily see why the New Republic fails and the First Order rises for sure because there, mm-hmm. are, there are so many gaps that, that these people are missing for sure. Well, one, one more yeah, thing I'd like to yeah. mention is that um, this is just a little like Easter eggy thing for me. Okay. Um, I um, um, I, I still play Battlefront Two on PlayStation a lot. Just when I'm, I get online and I play, I just enjoy it. One of the appearances of like an officer mm-hmm. or uh, a heavy for the re- rebellion looks like Tim Meadows. It's the mustache and oh the, yeah 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 I know and the you, outfit. I, know what you're and I was about. like, yeah. did they do that? I, I just want to know. Did they do that on purpose? <laughs> like, I see they what you're have. doing, and they if they have. did, cool, because it's a very clear like choice. You're like, dress this guy like this and give him a mustache. Yeah, 
He looks just like the guy from the video game. So I'm just I'm just throwing that in there and noticed it and moving on. There you go. Well, continuing with the episode, I, I definitely agree with you there. I think there's some yeah. connections with just the way the characters look, for sure. Uh, oh, back yeah. on Navarro, Grief Karga tries to ignite some hope in his civilians as they've made it to the Lava Flats to camp out by saying the New Republic will send help. Suddenly, this group does look extremely small to me. Like, I didn't envision that number of people living on Navarro only. Like, it's like... 40 to 50 people. It's probably more so a budgeting thing scenario going on there. So not much to complain there, but it's definitely smaller than what I had, what I had had expected. Yeah. But that was a nice little quick check in on Carl Weathers's grief cargo, seeing how he's kind of leading the charge and, and keeping the hope up uh, with his civilians. I love to see that. But we do continue with Carson Teva. He has tracked down the Mandalorian, Mandalorian covert. Thanks to R5, the covert declares they will now have to relocate due to the New Republic being aware of their location or Paz Vizsla gives the other option of killing the, quote, blue. I loved the fact that he kept calling uh, Carson Teva a blue. Din Djarin says Carson Teva has cut him a break once, so he is returning the favor. Carson Teva gives Din Djarin the transmission from Grief Karga. Din asks why he is really there, and Teva reveals he needs Din Djarin to respond since the New Republic won't. Din reveals the covert doesn't have any ships. That was a question that Zach asked last week, so that was important. Important for us to point out here yeah. on this podcast. Teva again says he believes the pirates are connected to the Empire. He just doesn't know how yet. Teva leaves the covert saying he promises he won't reveal their location, even though they will probably relocate anyway. This was the last that we see Carson Teva. Such a great character. I love his thinking here of, okay, I know Din Djarin, the Mandalorian that I've ran into repeatedly throughout this show. I know he's loyal to Grief Karga and he's loyal to Navarro, so I'm definitely going to try to reach out to him. I don't know, he probably tracked down, like, Pelimoto and, and found out that R5 was with him and I'm sure there's, like, New Republic protocols that allows him to kind of see where R5 is located, ping him or something like that, and that yeah. led him to the covert. I loved this little setup, though, and I I love, again, the pacing of getting this Carson Teva stuff accomplished and moving it into the Mandalorians, Din Djarin, Bo-Katan, the armor, Paz Vizsla, Grogu, all of them. I, I loved how we got there. It was almost like 10, 15 minutes we got there, and then we're with the Mandalorians the rest of the way. So I, I loved all of that. What did you think of Carson Teva coming to the covert? My biggest takeaway from this is, the, is R5-D4. Mm. Just how he was able to get connected to him like yeah. I and while you were talking and, and I just was like okay I know the scene goes down obviously I know how he got there we get this drop that R5 was at some point in service to the rebellion yeah when how where uh, is it in a book is it in comics? comic book comic okay book. so it happened before a new hope um and, okay and this, this is not something I've read this is something that I learned after the premiere episode because mm -hmm. Uh, Pelimoto says to Din Djarin, yeah, he once served with the Rebellion, mm -hmm. but somehow between between the years, he gets wiped and he becomes this scared, goofy droid. I, I don't know what happened, but he definitely was a heroic droid early early in the in the days of the Rebellion. Well, that that's fine. I just I, I just that's it's so it's like the most Star Wars fan thing of me to do. <laughs> it's like <Sure>. why? Because <laughs> they did it. Okay, first of all, it's Favreau's fault. He wrote it in there. Now I have to know. 
you know, like sure. that's my like big, how that's, we can track him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just want to know what what is why doesn't Teva like switch out droids or why doesn't R five mm-hmm. go with them? I mean, yeah, there, there's got to be some reason here. And I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and it says at some point he later found his new place within the rebellion, just mm-hmm. like his friend R two, where he served with Carson Teva Teva, however you say his name. So yeah. I'm just like, what, how, because how did he go from being on the desert to Mm -hmm. being in the service of the rebellion back to the desert? No, see, it was from my understanding. I thought it was before a new hope where he serves the rebellion. That's well, I, I, and I understand that, but I'm looking at what Wikipedia says. They're playing it out. So maybe I'm wrong. I may be wrong. Well, I think you're right in in certain aspects of it. I just don't know about this one little thing. And that's where I'm just, we're getting into weird semantics here. I realize (laughs) that. But but like, I just want to know, how did he get from point A to point B back to point A? Mm -hmm. And if I'm understanding it correctly. So that's something that I think, you know, for dorks like me, I need fleshed out. (laughs) But, you know, like, it's going to bug me, you know, but I'm not going to like fixate all my life on it and try to figure out why. I just want to know what's the deal. How did it happen? Just tell me and I'll be all right. Uh, it's kind of like the lightsaber thing at Maz's castle and force Awakens. How did it get there? We don't know that. All yeah. right. Well, it's going to bug me until you tell me, you know? So it, it, it's similar to that. Yeah. I've always just kind of assumed. And I even think three PO says something along the lines in the sequel trilogy that there's new Republic laws with the droids. Uh, I think also too, I've always assumed that it's kind of like vehicles here in, in America where we have to register them and blah, 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 blah. Like maybe people for the new Republic had to register their droids yeah, and that's how that's they're fair. aware of all of them and they can just ping them and, and find their location. Who knows? Who knows? But it, it's definitely something to dive into for people like us. But, uh, yeah. if you're listening and you're just a Mando fan, uh, Hey, Get in. You can you can get sweaty like that too. More than welcome. <laughs> Go ahead, get sweaty with it. Last thing, okay. Speaking of getting sweaty, the last thing that got me sweaty for this uh, this little moment was the uh-huh. fact that there's a full size uh, rebellion era X wing in Ooh. the shot. It's yeah. like he gets out of the cockpit, gets it down. Great. It's in the background. It's the the whole the shot where it pans up, mm-hmm. and and the cockpit door opens. I'm like. Give me more of that. That's that's some sexy filmmaking right there. I want some more of that. That's good go. stuff. So that, go. I really loved loved all that stuff just with him getting out of the X wing, and I was like, uh-huh. oh, look at look at that X wing. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's like I just, I saw a 1970s era Corvette drive by the other day, uh-huh. and I was like, dang, you know. Right. And the right. lady in the passenger seat kind of did one of these. You know, it's just a it's fancy old wave. Yeah. Yeah, it was an old couple, and I was like, you They've know, earned it. Like They've you know, it. you're cool. You know, you're cool. Why can't I have an X-wing and be cool? That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting. One at, day. Really. One day. One day. Yeah. One day. Well, after Teva leaves, the Mandalorians hold a meeting where Din Djarin makes his pitch for the covert to get involved to help Grief Karga. The pitch includes that Grief Karga has saved him and his foundling Grogu. Also, the enemy that decimated their covert were Imperials, not Grief Karga's bounty hunters. Lastly, Din Djarin mentions that Grief Karga has offered a tract of land on his independent world and Din uses this as an opportunity to say that it may be time for their people to live in the light once again on a planet where they are welcome so their culture can flourish and their children may know what it's like to play in the sunlight. Din finishes speaking and passes the armor's hammer back to her. First of all, I love the fact that they have this hammer to use as a, okay, it's my turn to speak. Love it's it. A sh- it's a sharing <laughs> stick for kindergartners. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Secondly, so Din Djarin, I think, does a pretty good job of kind of presenting why we should get involved. 
Uh, Grief Karga has kind of turned his ways. He, there's no beef between us anymore. He's a friend. Yada yada yada. I just re- I really love Din stepping up here and kind of being like, okay, I'm gonna lead our scenario at the moment at least. What did you think of of Din's presentation here? I think it took a lot of um, uh, grit and gumption mm-hmm. to g- get up and say what he does like yeah. as a character like he's he's not new to the covert okay but he's been gone a minute and come back right, right. all right so he he probably like we look at din din jarn and think he's the guy he's the dude he's that but, guy. like probably everybody else in that covert looks at paz i would have said the armor before this episode but paz Vizla specifically as the guy well yeah i think i think the the group understands mm-hmm. Paz Vizsla the most because they're one of him. But the armor is for sure like their head honcho. Yeah, like if you're going to go, okay, who's in charge? It's armor, it's Paz Vizsla, mm-hmm. and maybe it's Din Djarin, And maybe. then somewhere near him is Bo-Katan currently. Right, right. And and, and then, you know, there's... there's <laughs> well. Yeah, for now, for now. <laughs> for, for now, now. like, yeah. At this moment of the episode. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, you know. So it's it's kind of like, I'm okay, it's good that he gets up and says what he says. Yeah. Make a presentation, make an appeal. Mm-hmm. His appeal means jack squat until Paz Vizsla does what he does. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and, and talk yeah. about what what Paz Vizsla does. The armor gives Paz Vizsla the, the hammer. It's her, his the, turn to speak. The he sharing wants to, stick. He wants to say something. <laughs> he wants the covert to ask the question: Why should we help and risk our lives for Din Djarin and his tiny foundling yet again? And there's like this little pause, and he answers his own question, basically screaming, "Because we're Mandalorians." <laughs> Due to Dinjarin and Bo-Katan Kreese helping save Paz Vizsla's son Ragnar, he commits to Dinjarin's proposal, and the entire covert is in. As everyone, including the armorer, says, "This is the way." This I the way. loved yep. this. It was. It's cool to see Paz and Din kind of clashing Beskar all of these episodes through mm. through the years here. And now because, and again, me and Zach talked about this heavily last week, because Din went out of his way and Bo went out of her way to save his son, I mean, there's a whole new level of respect yeah. between these characters. I love this. I absolutely love this scene. I love everyone saying this is the way, including the armor. I, I thought that maybe she was going to hold off and then give her reasons why they should or shouldn't get involved. But I love the fact that even she got rallied by Paz there, and uh, and we're off. We're off to the mission. But before we go to the mission, final thoughts on uh, Paz's, we're Mandalorians, baby! It's like, it's like the most like pre-game speech <laughs> football thing you could do. Yeah. You know, like every, every guy, I mean, I don't know if girls do this. They might, but like every dude who ever played football, they know like there's one dude who gets up, stands on the little bench in the locker room sure, and gives yeah. the speech. Like it happens <laughs> at every football game somewhere, you know? Uh-huh. And and for those who may be listening in a different country, I'm talking about American football, not sure. your football. But, sure. you know, it, it happens everywhere. There's always the locker room speech. That's what this is. And yeah. But it's done in a way that's like we're going to go save some people, and mm-hmm. we're not just doing it for them. We get something out of the deal, too. Yeah, which is is very fair, I think, for the Mandalorians to want because they don't have a place to live, and it's they've had an exodus. Now they're trying to get home, and it's it's kind of you know it's a little Jewish in that sense, which is not shocking. Favreau's Jewish, so not surprising there'd be maybe a pull there from from his background to Mm -hmm. a degree. So I think that there's elements of that that's taking place. But what he does here, his little rally cry, also love that the armor is like there. 
because mm-hmm. I, I don't know how old she is, but she to me seems old enough that she was there during the Clone Wars. And that's a good gap in time. That's about a 30, 35 year gap in time. So she'd have been young. She's yeah. older. Um, like she does these very quick moves. They're very calculated when she yeah. fights. Yeah. So that tells me she's older. So there's a good chance that she's looking for someone to replace her. And I bet Paz Vizsla is the next in line. So he steps up mm. in a moment where they need leadership, mm-hmm. but from somebody that's not the armorer. So it's almost like she's training him to take her place. Yeah. And, and if and, and hmm. that's how I that's how I'm seeing it. Whether sure. I'm right or wrong is a different story. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I'm that's what I'm looking at, and that's how I'm seeing it. So I love this scene because it feels like we're progressing somewhere for sure. That we may not see for a long time. Yeah. But it's it's progressing nonetheless. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I I love that idea. Potentially. Potentially. We'll see. Yeah, it, it we'll see how we'll see how it thing. plays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the covert then travels and arrives on Navarro as Bo-Katan gives a voiceover of the plan. Mandalorians will drop in to liberate the planet from her ship as herself and Din Djarin and his N1 will handle an aerial attack. Bo-Katan says the following, Navarro is an independent planet and no longer under remnant imperial or new republic protection but it's that very independence that makes it appealing for you to settle i thought that was interesting the fact that she said it's appealing for you to settle not us because when she said that it did cut to the armor and the armor kind of looked at her quickly before looking at the little holographic map or whatever but obviously by the end of the episode that became a non-issue so there really isn't much to kind of dissect with that there at this point at least in my opinion well we get to navarro and we're going to go ahead and just hit this mission all at once, and then that way we can just kind of talk about the action and everything that ensues. Din Djarin begins his attack. Din blasts on the Corsair to get Gorian Shard's attention, and Din quickly takes out two ships as they crash into each other due to his, yet again, incredible maneuvering. The first team of Mandos drop onto the streets of Navarro from Bo-Katan's ship, making easy work of the first batch of pirates they see. Bo-Katan makes an attack run at the Corsair then at that point. Gorian Shard catches onto their plan and pulls the fighters chasing the N1 back to protect the ship. The first team on the streets gets boxed in by pirates, but a second team led by Paz Vizsla arrives to begin wiping some more pirates out. Bo-Katan and Din are now working together to take out pirate fighters and occasionally taking shots at the Corsair engines. A Trandoshan begins knocking down some Mandalorians with an ion cannon from Grief Karga's office, even knocking Paz Vizsla down for a minute. The armorer then arrives in the office with her hammer in hand, and wipes them all out like an absolute boss, allowing the teams on ground to continue their attack, pushing the pirates out of the city, who are then greeted by Grief Karga and fellow citizens. The pirates on ground are then surrounded, leading to their surrender. Vane freaks out, bails. We're definitely not done with that character then. He's off. Gorian Shard's like, nah, I'm a pirate. I'm going down with my ship. Refuses to surrender, begins attacking the townspeople with the Corsair. Din and Bo begin their attack on the Corsair's last engine, which eventually takes it down to a destructive crash and Gorian Shard with it. So, so, so much great action here. That's why I wanted to go ahead and hit it all. That way we can just kind of relish in the moment. Yeah. Obviously for me, the biggest moment is definitely the armor. Um, I'm not surprised at all that she handles it like that, but I love the way it was shot where she just kind of walks into the room and the camera's following her, and then you just see her go ham. 
And then I also really love the way they shot. First of all, I love the design of the Corsair ship. I love the design mm-hmm. of, of Gory and Shard's ship. And I love the way it went down. I, I love his actions, why he would stay with the ship, things like that. Paz Vizsla going ham with his heavy weapon. Gosh, this was so cool, so great. It reminded me of one of the best Mandalorian episodes, Chapter 3, The Sin, with Deborah Chow directing. Yeah. Because it was seeing these Mandalorians working together to get a mission accomplished. And on Navarro. And on Navarro. Anyway, I've, I've talked enough. DJ, <laughs> what were your thoughts on this heavy mission action scene? This is very reminiscent to me of the second Death Star battle, both on indoor and Ooh. in space. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. I mean, ships are flying everywhere. People are getting shot down. You know, good guys win at the end of the day. It's, it's, a, it's a hoorah. You know, it's great. All right. So it's a lot of fun for me to kind of like compare like I, lo- I love that comparison first yeah. of all and I, I agree with you the design of that ship is beautiful I, I believe it comes from an old star wars comic book Ooh, that's cool that's cool and, and I, I i tried desperately to find it a few weeks ago and that when that first episode aired and tried so hard to figure out where it came from because i saw a clip on on twitter someone was like hey here's here's this this ship and then here it is in a comic book and i was like i have to find it i haven't found it so if anybody knows what it is please tell me because i'm losing my mind uh, more more weird detailed things for me as a Star Wars <laughs> dork, but I I love that. I I also love the little ships that the that come out of that uh, of the the Corsair and yeah, you know, and fly. I love the way that looks. But here's my favorite thing about all of this. Um, I I love that everybody wins. I love that we get to see some really cool fighting and stuff. And it's, it's like Din and Bo or like working in tandem and it makes me, I'm not a shipper, but like I want to ship them so bad because of stuff like this. Like, yeah, I yeah. just think th- she's Grogu's mom. Now take it, take it for what it is. That's, that's Essentially. The, those, are the, those are the facts. Okay. At least Godmother in a sense, kind of, kind of like that situation. I but mean, yes, yeah, essentially, you're right. It's you're like, right. You know, it's single dad remarries, you know, and it's, it's sound of music is what it is. It's sound of music. Except that there you go. Din, Din and Grogu are the Von Trapps, okay? So <laughs> that's where we're at here. And and Bo-Katan is, is Julie Andrews. And it's just what's ha- it's what's happening. And at least my, in my heart, that's what I want sure. to happen. But, but regardless, they're working together. Love that. Now, here's my favorite thing about this. It's Gorian Shard's first mate, the Ugnaught. Oh, yes, the Ugnaught, okay, yeah. So, yeah. As it, so this is a very clear Easter egg. The second I saw him, I was yeah. like, that looks like Mr. Smee from Peter Pan. Oh, <laughs> I'll sure. Dead, I was going be, another route. I know you. You're thinking of Quill. Well, yeah, but I was going to say I think it's a it's a nod to the best Mandalorian podcast out there, Mando Talk. With the so? what's up, Ugnots and Jawas? Okay, just making sure. Just making sure <laughs> there were Ugnots and Jawas in this episode. Let's go. Now that I think about it, they're listening. They are. They know. They know. No, but here's it's because he looks like Mr. Smee. Okay. Yeah, Every, 100%. His, his, he's short. He he's not. The, he's he's ugly. All right. He just is. <laughs> and he's got the stripe and the bandana and the sash. It's like that's uh-huh. Mr. Smee. Now at first I was like, all right, Disney, what are you doing? <laughs> then I remembered at the beginning of this recording, where does Peter Ramsey, like, get his start in filmmaking? Mm. Animation. So yep. it makes perfect sense. He's like, we got pirates. I am an animator. 
I'm throwing in Mr. Smee. Like it go. just it's perfect. So yeah. I was like, hat tip to you, sir. And and it it was fun. I love that. So everything about this, you know, I I know I talked a lot about the most minute thing in the world. That's typically how I go on these <laughs> on these things. Okay. So if you're if you haven't heard my voice before, I'm sorry. This is what you get. But um, everything you mentioned about Paz Vizsla, the Mandalorians, the Ion Cannon. I mean, seeing um, uh, what a Trand Ocean again. You know, it's, it's just fantastic. It's Star Wars in its purest form. Yes, it is. So much fun. I mean, even the cockpit shots. Love it. Like, yeah. I just give me more of the camera over the dashboard shooting at their face. Like it's just perfect. So, and and it, it's just a lot of fun. Everything about. It, it's fun. It's it's very Return of the Jedi's battle. It's very opening mm-hmm. to Revenge of the Sith. It's a lot of a lot of great stuff here. So it's it's a very fun sequence. One that I want to rewatch. Yeah. More and more. Yeah. It's definitely uh, this this entire chapter very rewatchable, and I, I can't wait to to enjoy this one repeatedly. Great stuff all across the board. Well, yeah. Grief Karga then thanks the Mandalorians in front of the townspeople, saying they are forever in their debt and officially offers them a home on Navarro. I'm assuming they take it, but of course, by the end of the episode, we know what the ultimate goal is. But at least we'll be hanging out on Navarro the rest of the way, at least maybe until the finale. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but we're not done with Navarro for sure, because that's where the covert's going to reside. Paz Vizsla informs Bo-Katan that the armorer wishes to speak with her. Paz then takes Bo-Katan to the armorer who is in the tunnels of Navarro where the covert used to hide back in season one and also where the old forge still resides. Here the armorer reveals she has been to the great forge on Mandalore where it was large and ornate and the air rang with the music of a hundred hammers. But on Navarro there was a simple one and it all served both the Great Forge and that simple one on Navarro saved the same purpose. Now, that dialogue there was a natural transition and reflection of the armorer's next proposal to Bo-Katan, but I definitely love that dialogue that the armorer shared. And even connecting back to something you were saying earlier, DJ, the armorer mm-hmm. being and and experiencing the Great Forge while it's thriving definitely tells me that she's an experienced character. She was definitely probably back on Mandalore during the age of the Clone Wars when the Mandalorians were absolutely thriving. But getting to the big point here, suddenly the armor orders Bo-Katan to remove her helmet when Bo-Katan hesitates, the armorer questions if Bo-Katan respects her station, which Bo does. Bo-Katan then removes her helmet, and the armorer and Bo-Katan exchange some very important and intriguing dialogue. So anytime that happens, you know your boys got these prepped for us to look at. The armorer says, Our people have strayed from the way, and it is not enough for a few to walk it. We must walk it together. Bo-Katan responds by saying, this is the way. The armorer says, we must walk the way together, all Mandalorians. Bo-Katan responds by saying, I understand. And then the armorer finalizes the conversation by saying, I was taught that the Mythosaur existed only in legends, and yet you saw it. It is a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one who can unite us. I just got chills reading that dialogue yet again. Bo-Katan is essentially, in the armorer's eyes, the chosen one to reunite the people. Now, I guess the question that I have, and this is where we really get to get into a breakdown here, is 
is the armorer wanting Bo-Katan to kind of set up this hybrid, this is the way? Or is the armorer wanting Bo-Katan to essentially recruit all Mandalorians to this one and only way? Now, for me, I'll share my opinion and then I'll pass to you, DJ, as always. Bo-Katan removing her helmet tells me that it's more so the hybrid way. Like, I think the armor might might be okay with either one at this point. Like, I think they're all just kind of realizing, let's get back to Mandalore and work out our differences yeah. and thrive together. Yeah. But I also could see it the other way around, too. I, I, I really don't know. 100%, I don't know 100% one way or the other, but I'm definitely leaning toward because the armor says, okay, Bo, take off your helmet. I think the armor is becoming less serious about that one rule as far as helmet on always you can't take it off in front of other people but what do you think i think it's i have to dig into my biblical worldview for a moment okay so do it. um forgive me or don't actually you know what don't forgive me this is who i am so um <laughs> i look at it very much as as bo katan as a messiah type figure okay um because she very clearly the armorer says You've walked both ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I look at it as, like I said, a very messianic kind of way where you've got this individual who has lived both sides of the same coin, if you will, where they've kept the law. Okay. Easter's upon us. So you can ask me questions about that later if you want. But, you know, you've got, they, they, they followed the law. Bo Katan followed the law of, the way according to um their way that this particular sect of the man men mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. then you have bo way which is what we knew from clone wars and rebels helmet off do your thing whatever you know even going back to duchess satine who i was really hoping to get a name drop we haven't gotten one yet so that's another conversation probably but we have all of this taking place and then she says you know what you've done it both ways you've seen both sides of it you willingly bowed down to our regime, lived as one of us, and you've proven to be somebody we can follow and, and, and trust. So we're going to put our faith in you and follow you. Now, I know, again, I'm getting real biblical here, okay? I, I realize I'm kind of doing a little bit of a pastor thing. Forgive me. That's what my job is, okay? So um, that's what I'm seeing here. And it's not shocking to me, John Favreau, being Jewish— Knowing what Jews know about about their Bible, which I would call the Old Testament, it's being pulled in here a little bit. Like George Lucas borrowed from other religions. We should not be surprised if that's what Favreau's doing. At least I'm, I see it that way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, I'm totally off. I could be. I don't know. So I look at it as Bo-Katan is, is this vessel through which the Mandalorians can be, become one together. Okay. And yeah. it's only whenever we put our faith in Bo-Katan as Mandalorians that we can be restored to Mandalore. Gotcha. All right. So okay. it's it's this very weird roundabout thing. So I have to pull from from what I believe uh, outside of Star Wars and say that's how I see it. You know, that's that's what I see happening. Din Djarin, I've always thought up till now was that person to unite mm-hmm. the Mandalorians. Yeah. For sure, but, it, but as it turns out, he's just kind of like a disciple of sorts. Mm-hmm. So, what does Mandalorian season four look like? Mm-hmm. It's very Bo-Katan heavy. It's yeah, gonna, well, it's going to be. I mean, this has been Bo-Katan heavy, but I think that it's going to be very armor Bo-Katan. Yeah, heavy. And I'm not. I'm just going to be honest. 
I'm starting to think, well, how much more time do we have with Din Djarin? Mm. Uh, I, I think I these three. I, I think these three episodes coming up are going to portray portray how he comes back into major I, play. I think, I think so too. But also, if Bo-Katan is is this, we've got this line, this this thing going this way. Yeah, it's going to be very important somewhere. Uh-huh. If it's an Ahsoka or Skeleton Crew, when Thrawn finally shows up, sure, it's something. Okay. Yeah. But right now, that's how I'm seeing it, and it makes yeah. me wonder. It may, right now, this may be different. Come next Wednesday, sure. Right now, I see it as, well, how much more time do we have with Din Djarin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and no, I and see I, that. I, I see I'm that. Probably wrong. I don't think they're going to kill him. <laughs> no, no, they're not I, killing I'm, him. They're not killing but him. But <laughs> I'm, que- I'm questioning it. I, I'm okay. wondering. Okay. Yeah, so that's where, fair. Where are they going? And that's what fair. are they doing? And that's fair. I think we'll see less of the armor. Very soon, mm-hmm. hopefully more of Din Djarin because I don't want him to be gone yet. And you know, Bo-Katan, she can hang around. I like Bo-Katan, so yeah, it's oh. all good. We all, we all love Bo-Katan for sure. No, I definitely think there's some interesting things there. Um, Din Djarin to me is I. <laughs> I think he's definitely coming back into play with this whole Bo-Katan's now the chosen one thing because. I just think back to, first of all, they haven't made a big deal about the Darksaber yet. I still Mm-mm. think we're coming back to that at some point. Yeah. Also, I know I've seen interviews. I'm sure those of you out there maybe have seen it. Katie Sackoff was in an interview where she reacted to the, the Mandalorian posters. It was the first time she saw it. And the first thing she said was, what are you doing with my Darksaber? Yeah, She's saying that for a reason. I think that there's got to be something that comes into play where Din Djarin becomes, if not number one yet again, at least co with Bo-Katan. I, I think we're headed that way. But we'll, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll see. We'll definitely see over time. Three three chapters left, though. I know I know that whole Din Djarin thing is a concern out there. Of well, this this is suddenly not becoming his show anymore. It's more so focused on Bo-Katan. We still got three chapters. We got three chapters. I, I think. Yeah, I think it, things it, will present themselves for sure. Anybody who's not seeing this as a episode by episode kind of linear storytelling, you're yeah. missing the whole point because. Like I know I'm reacting to it based I'm reacting to it based on what I have seen. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the next three chapters are gonna be. Like you said, there's gonna be an emphasis switch probably. I mean, we've Bogotan's story is pretty well wrapped up. And at, by the end of this thing, which we're about to get into, we we wrap it up and co- go back to Tiva and or Teva and, yeah. and I need to learn how to say his name. And we bring back in the Moff Gideon connection. So we, we got stuff going on. For sure. Um, yeah. And I think that we are about to, okay, we got that taken care of. Let's turn right and go over here now. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, let's finish up then. The Armorer and Bo-Katan, who is still helmetless, walk out in front of the covert together. Armorer says Bo-Katan Kreese is going off to bring other Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together once again. Paz Vizsla says, but she shows her face. Armorer then responds by saying Bo-Katan walks both worlds and she can bring all tribes together. Din Djarin then kind of head nods toward Paz, like, okay, th- this is okay, Paz, chill, it's all good. Uh, Armor then says it is time to retake Mandalore, and that's when we kind of get this imagery. This scene ends with a very heroic shot of Bo-Katan looking off in the distance, hairs kind of flowing a little bit in the wind as she's mentally preparing for her upcoming mission with this new kind of persona of being essentially the chosen one to reunite the Mandalorian people. Now, I do think 
what is shown here at the end of this episode is going to connect into her mission for sure, in my opinion. But before we talk about that, DJ, is there anything else you want to say about Bo-Katan, Armorer, Paz, Din, with this dialogue that was in front of all of the, in front of the covert? Just a quick thing. I think Paz's line, but she shows her face, is going to be an issue for him. Okay. And I think there'll be some kind of odd type of uprising. I mentioned he's kind of the next in line for the Armorer. Yeah, you know, I'm not going full Greek tragedy here and saying he's going to backstab the armorer by any means, which it could happen. I mean, sure, we, yeah. The story. The thing about Mandalorian is it's telling stories we've seen told in other mediums before, mm-hmm. but not like this. So it's it's got a you know take on it that's a little different, which is why John Favreau's done such a great job yes. uh, with the writing. And and that's that's kind of a sidebar. But if there's anything to po- point at and go, that's a little weird. I think uh-huh. it's Paz's, but she shows her face. Okay. And, and I think I think that's kind of a thing because I remember when the first season came out, a lot of people hadn't seen Clone Wars and, and Rebels and still haven't, and they were like, "No, no, no uh, helmet on the head, not a real Mando," you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And and it's yeah. like, well, obviously that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we need to kind of remember that and see yeah. what's gonna happen. And and I think Paz is kind of maybe leading uprising, and everybody's gonna get upset, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna have a nice little Mandalorian war. And then somebody's going to ride a, a mythosaur, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's where I'm at. Ooh, well, we'll definitely see. There, there's a lot of great potential with this decision by the armor to greenlight Bo-Katan taking off her helmet, going out to recruit these other other Mandalorians. I do think this is our this is our transition into it being okay for the for Mando himself, Din Djarin, to take off his helmet because I do think we are going to see Pedro Pascal at least once this season because it's happened every other season. I think this also keeps the whole the situation where. Oh well, Disney's not going to cover the moneymaker's face of Grogu. This this makes that irrelevant at this point. We're we're never going to cover up Grogu's face or anything like that. We're definitely heading into this new age, this new Mandalorian way, like uh, the armor kind of alludes to, and we'll we'll see what comes of it for sure. But like you alluded to, let's get to it. The final moments of this chapter: Carson Teva in his X-wing flies upon a Lambda shuttle that was attacked and abandoned. The file on this incident was marked classified, and they discover this was the shuttle that was transporting Moff Gideon to trial. Moff Gideon is not found in the shuttle, revealing this was a planned extraction mission. And the final moment of the episode reveals there is a fragment of Beskar on. On the wall in the shuttle so a couple of things for me at least number one I think the fact that this was marked classified is at the hands of Elia Kane I think mm-hmm. she has something to do with that she's covering Moff Gideon's tracks allowing him to get away number two I've seen some theories on this as far as the best car at the end some theories are that Moff Gideon planted it there to kind of get the New Republic to go after the Mandalorians on Navarro. So that's you, DJ? Yeah. yeah. I think okay. I think that, so that, hey, here we go. Different different opinions here. This is great. I think it it's actually a, a separate Mandalorian covert sect that is in line with Imperials. And that's how we, I know there's there's been rumor of this. I'm not going to say that it's fact. Even though it comes from a pre- pretty good source that there's a Mandalorian character from a previous animated show that's showing up at some point. Potentially. Potentially. And I'm not going to say anything else to prevent sharing spoilers. I know DJ's looking at me confused. 
if you're confused, that's okay. Well, well, <laughs> regardless, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, Okay, go ahead. I still have the opinion, regardless of this rumor, report, whatever, I do think it's a more imperialistic Mandalorian covert, and that kind of connects to how Moff Gideon's got the Darksaber, that maybe that's why these Mandalorians that helped him, helped get him out, follow him, because he had that Darksaber at one point, and that's how they've got, like, this imperialized group. I don't know. Just, just some theorizing there. What do you think, DJ? What do you think of these final moments? What do you think of uh, what's going on there with the best car? This is a great setup, first of all. Yeah, um, it is. It's always fun to see a Lambda shuttle. I love those Lambda shuttles. They're mm-hmm. really cool. They're sleek. They're, They're cool. Cool. Very cool. Return of the Jedi, always. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think the Beskar thing's a plant, but you talk, you talking about well, somebody from Clone Wars might be there. I'm like, well, maybe. I mean, or Rebels, because those maybe. guys. But like, know. if <laughs> but those guys are dead, so I'm like, how? Maybe I don't unless know. I'm, unless I'm missing one, I'm probably am. But then I just now thought, what if what if this is a further setup? For the Ahsoka series, ooh, and what if Sabine's out there doing her thing and she's the ooh. one that broke Moff Gideon out, and we get that reveal in, I won't say in this, but probably in Ahsoka. Okay, you know what? If, what if that's what's going on? Because you know we we could get that. I think we it, it's feasible. Sabine's a Mandalorian. She's mm-hmm. the one that gave the dark saber to Bo-Katan. Yeah, and 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 she lost it. So wouldn't Sabine be a little upset? about about this I, yeah i think so and mm. she loved mandalore as much as anybody else very distraught over the the weapon she made in rebels yeah i think that she, there, there's an element where she would want to kind of avenge Ooh. um mandalore and bo-katan as a result so maybe that's a piece of her armor that's embedded in there you know so you're saying this group of mandalorians got him out to bring further pain rather than save him essentially yeah Ooh, yeah. i see like, i didn't even it, i didn't even view it that angle it, potentially. it's 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 more i think that's more interesting first of all like yeah if sure, there's another sure. if there's another mandalorian covert out there who's you know sprung him from jail just to kill yeah. him but yeah. cool whatever i don't care like it's fine if that's what you want to do it's more interesting if you bring in another character um, okay we we already know who's playing sabine yeah okay so Put her in the show. Like, it's Interesting. not a deal, you know? Interesting. But I Man. came up with that just now. Like, oh, yeah, up, until, absolutely. up until this moment, yeah. I've been like, oh, it's a plant. Mm-hmm. Like, if the Imperials sprung him from jail, which is just as likely. Very likely, yes. You know, I'm starting to formulate, okay, well, Moff Gideon gets connected with Kane, who previously worked for him, and she's playing the game right now. And then Grand Admiral Thrawn's still in the mix. So... What if they're just trying to get back to Thrawn so we can start cloning Palpatine and get some Snokes made and move on to TFA? You know, like right. these, yeah. these things are happening. That's what they're doing. To deny that is dumb, plain and simple. So it's going to take some time to get there. Mm-hmm. I think that that we're starting to really say, okay, let's get the ball rolling. Mandalorian's been great. Din Djarin's yeah. awesome. Grogu's awesome. But like, let's connect. Yeah, and I think that we're doing our own kind of storytelling networking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fair. So you know, th- that's that's kind of that. Yeah, I think I think something else to consider too, as well as just thinking about the scene that came before this. We know that Bo-Katan's going out to find other Mandalorians. I, I think it's very likely then that one of the groups that she stumbles upon is being led by Moff Gideon somehow, and, and that's how we have this massive confrontation. And and, and also. That would explain the group that bombed Bo-Katan's castle back in episode three, 
No, it was episode two. No, it was episode I don't remember. three, because it was the Dr. Pershing episode. It was the third episode of this uh, of this season. So that would explain, you know, why there may have been some TIE fighters that showed up. Maybe it was Moff Gideon. Maybe, maybe it was larger than that. We'll definitely see. But uh, I can't wait to figure it all out together. Can't yeah. wait to uh, do the Chapter 22 breakdown next week. But before we end this podcast episode, because that does kind of wrap up our breakdown, we want to hear from you guys. I sent out a tweet. Asked you to give us some thoughts, opinions, theories on this chapter of The Mandalorian. So we're going to look at those together. And we're going to start with Rock Peterson on Twitter. Sent in the following. Said, I'm hopeful about the evolution of the covert. It's great to see Vizsla not always being an an antagonist. Excuse me there. I'd love to see others have the opportunity to remove their helmets. Of course, that's partly because I'd love to see some of the Mandalorians turn out to be non-human. Uh, that would be really cool. Give I me a so Rodian. Too. Give me a Rodian that takes off that helmet. Oh, I would absolutely love that. That'd be great. I would lose my mind. But I do think it's very, 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 very interesting and possible. I've seen that the voice for Paz Vizsla has been recast quietly. It's not Favreau anymore. So maybe they're trying to put a face to this character that's not Jon Favreau. Maybe that helmet is coming off, and maybe we're going to start seeing more and more Mandalorians. Anyway, thoughts on that one, DJ, before we go to the next? Trying to remember who's playing Paz Vizsla now. That is definitely something that we could consider. Let me go ahead and go to the next one. Oh, you got it? You got it? Tate Fletcher. Tate Fletcher. Fletcher. There we go. Well, got a spunky-looking mustache on on Wikipedia. Does he give a Paz Vizsla vibe? Oh yeah, he was at okay. the premiere. Like he was, if you oh, were watching, if you okay. were watching Star Wars' Instagram story the premiere day, I was. Yeah, um, he was very much like there, and he's like, "What up, guys? I'm Tate Fletcher. I'm playing Paz Vizsla. and I was like, "What happened to Favreau?" Right. You know? So yeah, he interesting if, if decision. I saw, if I saw <laughs> this guy and he's he's bald, I don't know uh-huh. why. That it just seems like Paz Vizsla would be a bald buff dude. I don't sure. know why. It just yeah. does. Yeah. Kind of like gives me um, vibes like the guy that got chopped up by the airplane uh, that Indy fought in uh, Raiders oh. of the Lost Ark. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That particular guy. So it, vibes like that, but like he's like, I can I can take you kind of deal. So yeah, he, I think he could be passed. But yeah. There you go. I like it. All right. Well, next, Pan on Twitter. Theory: Sasha Banks has Moff Gideon. That would yeah, be they, really they, cool. That'd they did say at the cool. beginning of the season that um, Bo-Katan's crew split and did their own thing. So That's right. Yeah. That's right. And That's I don't think possible. we're – I think – okay, correct me if I'm wrong on this, DJ. This was very early on in the production of Mandalorian Season 3. Okay. Did we not potentially see a leaked video of Axe Wolves and oh, Bo-Katan shoot. coming yes. face-to-face? Yeah, Bespin Bulletin broke that. That's right. There we yeah. go. That is so, very likely, Pan. If it's so, not Sasha Banks, it's definitely potentially Axe Wolves that's got him. Well, it, that still could be Sabine, too. I mean, she could have linked up with them, and Ooh, they go do their good thing. Good point. Good point. I, I feel like if Sabine's there, though, she's going to side with Bo-Katan. But, yeah, the Axe Wolves is definitely there. That was clearly that actor. So Yeah, okay. Look out for new Black Series figures, guys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, next up on Twitter, Gabby. 
my fave episode of season three so far, though I'm a bit annoyed they keep sidelining Din. We've definitely talked about that one a little bit on uh, this breakdown so far. I feel like they're teasing us, though, because every actor talks about Din as if he's reluctant. Why would he be if he isn't doing something he doesn't want to? So, something will happen that needs him to step up. And that's definitely something that we've kind of been hinting at there, Gabby, for sure. I know right now Din Djarin seems like a side character. I I can almost say with full confidence, something in these next three chapters is happening to bring him back to the forefront. 1,000%. We're just, we're getting to explore the character of Bogotan, which I love. Like, give me that. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Give me a couple of episodes focused on her. But you do need to, I think at one point, then transition it back to Din Djarin at some point. And Gabby, I do think we're headed that way. Any thoughts on that, DJ? Totally agree. We're going to get back to Din, um, even though I am questioning what's going on. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. We'll get there. We'll get there, but right now I'm just kind of like, okay, we'll see, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Last Twitter submission, and then we'll hop over to Discord. Discord link is in the description, by the way. And if I haven't said this, at Mando Talk on Twitter, follow us there. That way you can be on the next podcast breakdown episode jessica sitton said it was great glad din wasn't sidelined again okay so jessica was okay with what din jarn did here in this episode and oh my gosh the very end has me going nuts because i want to see what happens when they figure out who took moth jessica we got to practice patience we got to take the the lessons of jedi here we got to wait till next week hopefully next week hopefully we finally see the great Giancarlo Esposito back physically as Moff Gideon. Do you think we get that next week, DJ? Uh, not if not next week, the week after. Yeah, for uh, sure. For sure. I mean, in chapter seven, you know, I would say that's what I expect him to show up. But the, I, I, yeah, I'm second not a to good, last episode potentially. I, yeah. I'm not a good predictor of things. Right, right. I, I mean, like the, the best the best prediction I ever had was I predicted that the Tuscan Raiders would ride speeders. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's and that was just hopeful, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, yeah. And then it happened. I was like, well, okay, yeah. manifested that. That's awesome, you know. Like, but I've, that's the luckiest I've ever been. So I, I can't say. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if he shows up, I think it's seven, but. Watch, I'll be wrong. He'll show up next week. So, we'll or see. not show up at all. I have no idea. I've got he'll, he'll show up eventually in this I season for sure. Um, you know what? Just to be different, I'm going to say next week. Look out for it. You, I mean, you wanted him to Look be here this week. It. Just take I him did. next week. You know? I did. I heavily okay. believe. I made a YouTube short on the fact that I thought Moff Gideon was going to be here. There was evidence. There was and, evidence. Uh, and he didn't show up, but his presence was felt, and that's when you know you've written a great villain, I might add. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree. All right, hopping over to Discord, Melanie sent in the following. I love when the armor gets awesome with her forging tools, and Paz dropping in with his blaster. Great to see the Anzellans again. Hey, I forgot to mention them, for sure. That was great. I love seeing them. The writing in this was so good, and the air rang with the music of a hundred hammers. Had that in quotes. Wow. Yeah, I love anytime the armorer is talking, the dialogue that the armorer always shares is spot on. Uh, then Melanie included here in parentheses, I also liked how she spoke more relaxed and quietly at that moment, as if dropping her formality to just converse normally. The episode was amazing. 
I didn't even view it that way, Melanie, but I absolutely love that detail. I'm going to need to watch it yet again to kind of get those vibes and see if she is kind of letting her guard down a bit. Now, she's obviously letting her guard down a bit if she's telling Bo-Katan to take off a helmet, something I'm sure she hasn't said ever, potentially, take mm -hmm. off that helmet. Um, but yeah, I love all those thoughts there, Melanie. DJ, anything you want to say back to back to Melanie's thoughts there? No, I thought that's, I think that's all great. That's all great. Stuff. All great. Well, hopefully... If you're listening to this podcast episode this deep into it, you thought that this breakdown was great. And if you do think it was great, make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. Help us out. Share us. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. We got three more of these incredible breakdown episodes coming at you. I can't wait to continue to do it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, like, five stars, all those things I set up at the top. Do those things if you want to join Clan Mando Talk. And then follow us on Twitter and TikTok. Those are the two main ones, at Mando Talk. Especially Twitter if you want to have a chance to have your opinion and voice heard here on the podcast episodes. And I believe that's all the plugs that I need to make. DJ, thank you so much for being here for this breakdown. I know the plan currently is for you to be back for next week, so I can't mm -hmm. wait to hear from you yet again. Final words that you would love to share with our fellow clan members. Force willing, I will be back next week as long as I uh, can make it happen. I think I think I can. We'll just we'll have to we'll have to maybe do some adjusting, maybe go. in a maybe in a different location, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, However, I do have another podcast I've been doing with some friends of mine called Cinematic Theology. Pulled a little bit of that in tonight. Didn't really mean to. It just kind of came up. But um, we have our, we have our 10th episode coming out this weekend hey. um, over uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption. And Ooh, so, that's a good one. That's so a good one. If, if you want to know what does the Bible have to do with Shawshank Redemption, go check that out. It'll there be out go. there. And I'm not. We actually have a guest on this episode. I was Ooh. not present to record that because I was abroad. I was in Israel. There you go. <laughs> and so uh, that's why I haven't been on here the last couple of weeks. And and I was so kind of I was one part bummed I couldn't do Mando talk, but I was you know in the Holy Land. So sure. <laughs> it kind of took the Good place. Reason. This close to Jakku, guys. <laughs> that close. Yeah. So upset. Like I was the Dead Sea was in front of me. Jordan was over there for for safety reasons. I could not cross. So I didn't. <laughs> um but you know Fair. it's Fair. one of those one of those things that I was like, dang, I really wish I could go to the Abu Dhabi desert and see Jakku and and yeah. uh, whatever whatever that other planet was called and Rise of Skywalker. I can't remember. So yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, check out that podcast if you wish. We we are growing steadily and we're enjoying it. So um, well, there you go. Go check that out. Shawshank Redemption this weekend. But until then, I'm gonna echo what Caleb said. Subscribe to Mando Talk. I've been around hey. a while. I enjoy Mando Talk. I've been listening when I hadn't been here. Zach Horvath holding it down. Okay, crushed times it. and crushed um, it. happy and happy opening day to you baseball fans. There you go. There you, you know, go. I didn't even realize that was happening right now. That's today, yeah. I'm too focused on The Mandalorian right now to do anything else with I my started, life. We started Except fantasy. be a father and a husband. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we started fantasy baseball with our crew this last week, so I'm like, yeah. baseball time. You know? There you I'm go. Like, it's Mando, but it's baseball time. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Well, I'm excited for next week. Excited to break down Chapter 22. Uh, chapter 22 is directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, so I'm banking Let's on go. it Let's being go. an absolute banger. And, Come on. Uh, until then, though, as always, we have spoken. Spoken.